What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. It's a little bit dark and gloomy in this episode compared to the last episode. It was real bright and beautiful. We were out on the Baytona Trail. Last night, though, there was this big forest fire. So everywhere that I go, it's just covered in smoke. You know, the sky might look like it's cloudy right now. That's just smoke, though. That's not rain clouds or anything like that. And of course, you know, I was like, oh, it would be really cool to film out in the middle of a forest fire. So that's what we're doing now. So Sunday School is a show where we read through the Bible and we try to understand what God's word means and how we can apply it to our lives. We've been reading through the book of Romans and we're currently going to be starting chapter three today. And chapter three is continuing where we left off in chapter two. See, so the book of Romans is a book about the gospel. That's what Paul says it's about. So that's what I'm going to assume that he's trying to convey here. He's trying to convey for us, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? How do we get to heaven? And so he's been walking us through step by step on the steps that we need to take to ultimately get into God's kingdom. In the first chapter, we established that God exists, right? There is a God. In the second chapter, we established that this God that obviously created the world is going to judge us all when we die. And he's not going to judge us based on what we believe. He's going to judge us based on what we do. If we do good things, we're going to go to heaven. But if we do bad things, we're going to go to hell. And so at the end of chapter 2, Paul started getting into the laws of Moses and Judaism. See, Christianity started in Israel. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And so the moral standard of the Bible is the laws of Moses, which are talked about in the first couple books of the Old Testament. Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers. And so Jesus came to be the Messiah to the Jews, to rescue the Jews from their oppression under the Roman Empire and to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. But the Jews rejected Jesus. They hated Jesus. They had him put to death. And they had him put to death because they had a lot of self-pride. Now, it's not to say that all Jewish people are evil. Again, Paul's a Jew. Peter was a Jew. All the 12 apostles were Jews. But most Jews rejected Christ. And the modern religion, which we know as Judaism today, spawned from the Jewish people in Christ's time who rejected him as the Messiah. And one of the main reasons that the Jews rejected him is because they could not accept that they needed forgiveness from God. In John chapter 7, Jesus says that the world hates me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Jesus testified to the Jews and to the whole world that the world is evil, that all of humanity is evil, that we're in sin. And if we don't change our ways, that God is going to condemn us. Although people like to think of Jesus as being lovey-dovey, Jesus really had a harsh and unforgiving message. He held people to a standard of perfection that no one should sin. And if anyone sins, even just once, they deserve to go to hell. And so Paul began talking in Romans 2 to the Jews 
who thought that they were perfect in the eyes of God just simply by the virtue that they're Jews. Jewish people call themselves God's chosen people, and that's because they God chose them, right? God chose them to be the people group from which the prophets like Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, and all the others would come from. And they were the chosen people from which the Messiah who would crush Satan under his foot would come from. But what Paul says to the Jews is just because you're circumcised, just because you're a part of this religious and racial group, doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. You're only going to go to heaven if you obey God. And if you disobey God, you're going to go to hell. There's nothing about your religious or ethnic background that makes you special in the eyes of God. God's going to judge you the same way he judges anyone else, even a Gentile. The only thing that's going to differentiate us in the end is not our skin color, not our gender, not not anything but our deeds. Verse 1. What advantage then has a Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So he's asking, if there's nothing that differentiates Jewish people from Gentiles, why is it better to be a Jew? What profit is there? And he says it's because we have the holy word of God. We have the scriptures. We have the prophets, right? Jewish people aren't these like totally evil, irredeemable race of people. Like many people try to portray them. They're still God's chosen people, but they have rejected God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, Let God be true, but every man be a liar, as it is written, that you might be justified by your sayings and might overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, Why yet am I also judged as a sinner, and not rather, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. So many Jews had been slandering Paul for what Paul was teaching. And not just what Paul was teaching, but what Christians were teaching. They were saying that Christianity teaches that you can do evil and that good can come from it that we should just continue in sin and not change our lives and that somehow that will get us to heaven. And I think what Paul's saying here is that if this is really what I'm teaching, if I'm really a liar that's claiming to be from God, but I'm not really from God and I have this evil message, then how is it that my lie is bringing people to change their lives and to follow the truth of God? Now, something that I think is very interesting here that people should think about is that we kind of lack 
context as to why Paul is saying this. Up until this point, he hasn't really brought up that there are Jewish people saying this. He hasn't brought up why Jewish people are slandering Christians, saying that Christians teach this as above, so below, satanic philosophy. He just suddenly brings this up out of the blue. What we can assume, though, is that this must have been a very common misunderstanding. And what's interesting is that this is actually a common misunderstanding that many people still slander true Christians with to this day. Many people have said to me that I am teaching people to remain in sin and to not change their lives and to just continue doing evil things and that through doing that, they'll go to heaven. Even though that's not at all what I'm teaching, I teach that sin is evil. I teach that people who do evil will go to hell. So the question is, where do people get this misunderstanding? So what Paul's going to do now is he's going to explain what the true doctrine of Christ is, what the true doctrine that Christians teach. And we're going to see why it is that Jewish people think that Christians are teaching this satanic philosophy. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So he's saying, I'm not teaching that doing sin is okay, but I, but what I am teaching is that all people have sinned and all people have done evil and all people deserve to go to hell. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." See, when you read the biblical narrative from beginning to end, you see that God creates man and man has this perfect relationship with God, but then man sins against God. And so God rejects man. God says, I'm over, I'm done with you. And he gives them this law. He gives them this, he gives them this rule book that if they follow these rules, they will be accepted back into God's kingdom and they'll be reconciled with God. And so man attempts to follow the law, attempts to follow God, but ultimately their attempt at trying to be righteous is never good enough. It's never good enough to satiate God because we are still failures. And ultimately the Old Testament ends with Israel, God's chosen people, being totally rejected and being punished by God, being enslaved by a plethora of nations for the next thousand years. They have no hope. They have lost their connection to God. God seemingly hates them. And so in order to have an understanding of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the rest of the books, you have to come into it with an understanding that all people up until this point have totally failed 
to please God. We have all gone into sin. We have all done evil things. And God is full of wrath and anger for us. He, he hates humanity. He is angry with humanity. He's ready to destroy this world. But he still has enough compassion in his heart that he's holding back this wrath in hopes that we might turn back that we might be reconciled with him. Some people think that we can get reconciled with God by returning back and trying to follow the law, trying to follow the Ten Commandments, trying to be good people. But this is what Paul says about that. He says, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. This is a really dark statement that Paul's saying. What he's saying is that no matter how hard we try to follow God's commandments, that it will not make God forgive us. And some people might not like that, but if you guys believe the word of God, you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, this is what the Bible says. It says that no flesh will be justified by the law. He says that the law, the Ten Commandments, that their only purpose is so that every mouth will be stopped, that will shut up, will stop talking, and that the world will become guilty before God. See, when we read the law, when you read the commandments in the Bible, the 613 commandments that make up the law don't have any clause about getting to heaven. They don't have any clause about becoming righteous. They're only a list of things that if you do them, there is a punishment associated with committing these acts. If you kill someone, you deserve to be killed. If you rape someone, you deserve to be killed. If you cheat on your wife, you deserve to be killed. If you injure someone, they have to injure you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. But there's no reward in the law. All the law is capable of doing is condemning you. That's not to say that the law is evil. That's not to say that the law, the Ten Commandments are bad. The Ten Commandments serve a good purpose. They give us a moral framework. They teach us right from wrong. When you read the Ten Commandments, you have a clear understanding of what evil is and what good is. But that's all the Ten Commandments and the rest of the 613 commandments are capable of doing. All they are capable of doing is making you aware of morality. And ultimately, because we all fall short of God's standard, we all do evil things, it ultimately condemns us. And this is the ultimate conundrum that all religions have. This one problem that all religions share. You know, Christianity is very similar to every other religion in the world. You know, atheists always bring this up. They always talk about how there's all these different religions that have similar ideas and similar beliefs. And to an extent, that's actually true. Christianity is not necessarily unique in its premise. All religions teach that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, all of them, they all have this one problem, which is that we all do evil things. In the case of every religion, 
The standard that is required to get to heaven is inachievable. The gods or God can never be satiated. They can never be pleased. Not necessarily because those standards are so high, but because we just suck, (laughs) you know? Like, the standard of the Bible is literally just don't do evil stuff. Don't rape people. Don't kill people. Don't cheat on your wife. (laughs) If you don't do those things, you'll go to heaven. And while some of us, you know, maybe we don't kill people, maybe we don't cheat on our wife, it's like, well, we still have this burning hatred in our heart to the point where if we could get away with it, we probably would kill someone. We're just too weak to actually go through with it. And weakness is not virtue. And so in all religions, if we're really realistic and we're honest about ourselves, we're all going to hell. And no religion has a sufficient answer. Again, most religions teach that you can just go back and try to be a good person again and God will forgive you. But why? Why should God forgive you? Just because, you know, I bring up this illustration very frequently, but imagine someone killed your daughter. Well, what if they never killed anyone else again? Would you forgive them? Some religions say, okay, we need to do enough good actions to outweigh our bad actions. Okay, so what if after this guy killed your daughter, he started mowing your lawn every day? Would you forgive him then? No. And so every religion, there's no solution to this problem. There's no way to get right with God. There's no way for the average person who's over the age of like five to go to heaven. We're all screwed. Except in Christianity. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and by the prophets. So Paul's saying right here that there's a righteousness, there's a way for us to become good people, but that way for us to become good people is outside of the law. But he says here that it's witnessed by the law and by the prophets. And what he's saying is that, like in the first episode, we read this prophecy from Isaiah 53, right? And what that prophecy was talking about, about the suffering servant who is punished for our evil deeds, that is the righteousness outside of the law. But it's being prophesied in the law. It's being prophesied in the Old Testament where the law is. It is the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. So what is Paul teaching here? He says that all people deserve to go to hell because they break the law. And if we want to get to heaven, if we want to get back into the good graces of God, if we don't want to be condemned to hell, we need to somehow get right with God. 
But the only way to get right with God is not through returning to the law and repenting of our sins, but it's through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. See, what God did essentially, not literally, but basically, is he sent Jesus to hell in our place. Jesus willingly stepped up and said, no, don't punish him, punish me. And so he was sent to hell in our place. Instead of us going, he went. He didn't literally go to hell, but he died on the cross. He went through the suffering and the death on the cross in our place. And through the shedding of his blood, he made us right with God. Because in God's eyes, after his death, all people who put faith in him have been punished already for their sins. It says who God sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare righteousness and the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. A propitiation is like a peace offering, right? Let's just imagine you're a city and there's this opposing army that's coming to raid you. You might not have enough men to uh, fight them off. But if you can send some kind of peace offering, like some kind of, you know, a bunch of gold or a, bu a bunch of animals or something like that, you could appease them to make them stop attacking your city. And so to bring it back to God, God is angry with us. God wants to send us to hell for our evil deeds. But if we can offer a peace offering to God to make him stop attacking us, stop sending us to hell then we can get into heaven. And so what we need to do to get to heaven is we need to put our faith, as it says here, faith in his blood. We need to put our faith, our trust into Jesus's blood. Trust that his blood is capable of making us right with God, of making God forgive us. And some might say, why does this bloody barbaric death need to happen to appease God if he's so all-loving. It says right here in 26 that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. See, God can't just forgive you and let you go to heaven. God's basically trapped between a rock and a hard place. And on one hand, God is all-loving. He loves his creation. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to have a father-son or daughter or father-daughter relationship with us. But at the same time, we're so, we've done so many despicable things that he has to punish us for our deeds. He, he, he simultaneously is the just judge of the universe, the righteous judge of the universe, and also the father of humanity. If God just forgives everyone like he would love to do, he would no longer be just. He would actually be doing something that's evil because he's not condemning people for their evil deeds. He's not giving people their just deserved punishment. But if he sends everyone to hell, that's going to break his heart. And so the reason Jesus had to die is because someone has to be punished for these actions. And so God has allowed a loophole that if someone who doesn't do evil, who lives perfectly, offers themselves up in your place, that you'll be forgiven and they'll be punished instead. 
So we'll cover the rest of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four in the next episode because I think that they kind of go together. But to wrap up everything that we've learned here in this episode, we've learned that all people deserve to go to hell because we all do evil things. But that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we can be forgiven for our evil deeds, for the evil things that we've done, and we can get to heaven. We can be made right with God. All we have to do is believe that Jesus' blood is capable of getting God to forgive us. But many people, in the case of Romans chapter 3, the Jews, but even today, many people slander Christianity and slander the gospel message and say that this gospel message is teaching that we should just do evil and that good will come of it, that we shouldn't stop sinning because all we have to do is just put our faith in Jesus. But like Jesus said in John chapter 7, the reason why people hate it so much, the reason why people hate him so much is because they cannot accept, they're too prideful to accept that they are evil and that they need God's forgiveness. So that's all. Thanks for watching and I'll see you next time.